we have, we've been in this really cool series. Um, I, have, I have just, um, man, where we're going to land today, I'm so excited about. This series has been super cool because it's a commandment of Jesus that he calls the greatest commandment. Um, we talked about it in different parts and different places in the Bible we see in the Gospels where a man comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Jesus, in, in di- different kind of uh, avenues, different kind of ways, and you'll see that today too. He comes to Jesus and he says, you know, what's the greatest commandment? I, I've, I've framed this as, you know, what's the most important thing for me to do? And I think a lot of us have asked that question. If you've been around church, if you follow Jesus at all, I, I think a lot of us say, what's, what is the most important thing? What is the greatest thing I can do? You know, for some of us, that's really challenging. I mean, when Drew talks about going to Pakistan, I think, uh, wow, here's someone who says, I'm going to go to Pakistan and serve Jesus. And for a lot of us, we could say, wow, that's the greatest thing. You know, what an incredible, great thing to do. Drew is being faithful to what he is called to do. And what he said today was, all of us are called. All of us are called by God to do something, to, to really, ultimately, to share his love and his grace with this world, to follow Jesus. And so sometimes I think we make this more difficult because we say, okay, so the greatest thing that I can do, and we, we think of this, you know, high mountaintop thing that I can do, when really, guys, at the end of the day, it is being faithful to following Jesus. It is simply loving God and loving others. And that's how he answers here. He looks at this person who says, you know, what's the greatest thing I can do? And you wonder, man, what is he going to say? And then he looks at this person and he says, the greatest thing you can do is love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what we found was this is really cool is that Jesus didn't make this up. This isn't something new. This is Jesus actually pulling from a prayer that was a prayer that everybody would have spoken that day in his context. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. And this was a regular prayer. This was a daily prayer. So you got up in the morning, you have breakfast. And, and what, would, what would happen? What would change? What would change for each of us if we began to do this? I just did a little challenge to see what would happen. And, and maybe, maybe here's the thing. I'm not asking you, hey, do this for the next six months. But I want to challenge you. What would happen this week if all of us said, I'm going to take Monday through Friday. I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going I'm to say this prayer. Before I get up, before I lean over and say why your breath smells, before I go and brush my teeth, before I go have my breakfast, whatever you do, what if the first thing that came out of my mouth was, God, today, I'm going to love you with all of my heart, with all my soul, with all of my mind, and I'm going to love my neighbors myself. Then I'm going to get to work. I'm going to go through the morning. Somebody's going to irritate me. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to find it's really hard to love my neighbors myself. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to get to lunch, and I'm going to eat my lunch, and I'm going to have to say this prayer again because I've had a difficult time doing this. Because I've had opportunities to love other things, and I've had opportunities to not love my neighbor. So I'm going to say, God, I need to love you with my heart, with my mind, with my soul. I'm going to love my neighbors myself. And as I go to bed, I'm going to recognize the ways that I have failed to do those things. And so I'm going to pray again. Father, as I go to bed tonight, help me to love you with all of my heart. Help me to love with my soul and my mind and love my neighbors myself. And I don't want you to beat yourself up, but I want you to find the ways. Maybe there were places where you succeeded in that. Maybe there were places where you walk away and you go, man, I I did love my neighbor in that way. Maybe I should lean into that more. 
What would it look like if I leaned into that more? There were places today where I didn't trust, where I was greedy, or where I looked and I made myself the focus of everything. But, but there were other places where, yeah, I did, I did. I chose God's glory above my own, and I chose to follow him. What would it look like if I leaned more into that part of my life? That is what we call sanctification. That is this work of God working in our hearts, changing our lives, making us more like Jesus. It is a process. It takes time. But it takes us giving our lives over to God. The prayer is not magical. The giving of our lives to Jesus' way is what changes our hearts. So learning to love God with all of our being. And this is what we learned. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit in my sermon to make sure we get out of here on time. But what we learned in the first few weeks of this series was this idea that what Jesus is saying is we don't, we don't separate. We don't think of it in terms of, okay, I'm going to have this box of my heart, this box of my mind, this part of my soul. I am loving God with all of me. And that's really what he's saying here. This is what this ancient prayer was telling these people. You have a gift from God. Your, the steps that you walk, the breath that you have, the brain that you have, the choices that you have, the resources that are going to come your way. The, everything you have is a gift. And what he's saying is use that as a gift to God. The breath that you have, give to God. The steps that you have, give to God. The resources that will come your way. As we talked about, I love this, the adverb that we use, the, the, that is the mind, the mayo, the, the very muchness of who we are. Man, when Justin texted me and he's like, I used mayo, mayo, very muchness. And we learn that that is the very muchness of who we are we give to God. Go back to the sermon. It was a fun sermon. But this idea that I give all of me and not just all of me now, but my, my, my future and the resources and who God, all of these things I give to God. And then the most incredible thing happens. This guy's like, I can do that. I can figure this out. I've been praying this prayer my whole life. I'll figure this out. Then Jesus jumps back. He goes back to the Hebrew scriptures again. He pulls out another passage. And so he says, and that's the first and greatest commandment. And you go, first and greatest, hold on. There can only be one first. No, not with Jesus. He says there's two, and they're intrinsically connected. You can't have one without the other. He says, so the first one is to love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, the fullness of who you are. And then he goes, and the second is like it. So the second is just as important, primary, it is, it, is, um, it is just as great, it is just as important, it is just as impactful, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. So he pulls in this other text. So basically what he's saying, guys, is you are to love God with everything, the fullness of who you are. You, you, your life is a gift, your breath is a gift, the ruling of your heart, what, do you rule, what rules your heart? Is it you or something else? All these, give it to God. And then he says, and then... The way that you love God like that, you should love others like that too. You go, well, it's impossible. That's a, how, how can that be? And what we discovered was that that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. We discovered that as Jesus gave his life, the fullness of him, the, the power he had to take himself off the cross, instead he says, no, I give up my power, I give up my life, all of this for others. And in that, he says, you are to exemplify that. You are to live like Jesus. You are to give your life for those around you. And not just those you like. And not just those you agree with. 
the very people who put you on this cross. Jesus says, I, I love them. You're to love like that. You're to love your enemies as well. This is incredible. See, this is, this is world-changing. This is why when we come here, we hear this message, we, we say, I, I want to be like Jesus. Well, because it changes the world. The world needs that kind of love. That, that's, that's why this matters. And so he says to this man, he says, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now I told you this comes from a different place, so I, I want you to see this. So we have this ancient prayer that comes uh, to us that, that Jesus pulls out. He uses this. We found this in Deuteronomy. It's a, uh, as Moses is speaking to the people, he says this prayer that you know, became so famous. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord, Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength or your mind, you know, your very muchness. But the second command, I said Jesus also pulled from the Hebrew Scriptures, but he pulled it from a different book, and it's pretty fascinating. He pulls this, love your neighbor, from Leviticus. Leviticus 19.18. And you are forgiven if you say, I didn't know where that came from. Because what happens with Leviticus is this. Some people, have you ever tried to do a Bible, and you don't have to raise your hand, it's fine. But if you've ever tried to do a Bible reading through a year kind of thing, what happens is, the best thing to do is honestly to jump around. Go, go to the beginning, go to John, go to here, go to here, go to here. But some people say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start in Genesis. And I'm just going to read through the whole thing. And they're fine. They're fine. The creation story, they're like, I'm good, I'm good. The Exodus story. Man, it's fascinating, right? They made movies about the Exodus story, right? This is good. Then you get to Leviticus. And everybody goes, I can't read this. What is this? I got through the so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. I get that. That's fine. This is weird. I don't know what's happening here. I don't understand this. And there have been more Bible reading plans that have fallen off the charts because they said, I can't read this anymore. Because Leviticus, friends, is weird. And Leviticus is not good weird. It is weird weird. It is a book that gives us a glimpse into an ancient system of relationship that, that regulated the relationship between people of God. I got, I got my notes mixed up there, but let me, let me I better read it. Leviticus gives us a glimpse into an ancient system of religion that regulated the relationship between people and God. Does that make sense? Okay, so in the ancient world, thousands of years ago, way beyond our context, people needed to understand, how do I relate to God? So when I say weird, I'm not trying to be, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be, and I probably shouldn't even use that word, I'm, I, I'm not trying to be pejorative about the faith, okay? Hear me out on this. It is not a slam. That is more of a, to us, this seems so weird. It doesn't make any sense. Why are people doing this? Because there's sacrifice. There, there's ritual that doesn't, really, it just doesn't make sense. There's things that just seem backwards to our cultural context that we go, I don't understand. And then what tends to happen is people read through this and there's things that they go, oh, and they pull verses out or they pick things up and you go, that's weird. Well, that sounds okay. That doesn't make any sense. And so it's a very odd book. But in it, we find this. We find these rituals. We find these sacrifices. We find laws. And, and honestly, if, you, if, you're, if you're like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever read Levit Leviticus. Go through it. F find some of the places that you see this and you'll see how distant this seems from how we understand our relationship with God. And that's why this is difficult. 
Because for these people who were truly following God, trying to understand the complexity of our relationship with God, they have to figure this out. And so there's some, some really interesting pieces there. Now look, if they look to us, don't you think they would go, well, that's weird. And we're like, well, we're just trying to understand our relationship to God. And they're like, imagine, I'm going to pull somebody from 2,000 years ago. I'm going to set them in here. First of all, they're going to cover their ears. What is that noise? What are they doing? That stringed instrument that has all that fuzz and nastiness to it. We go, well, that's called overdrive. We make it sound like that on purpose. It sounds broken. I know. It's cool. It came out of the 60s with the rock and roll. And they're like, what's that? Right? Like, it wouldn't make any sense to them either. We seem weird. Think about some of the stuff that we do. It probably seems really weird. Faith and religion and all of this is strange. It's all contextualized. And so this is the context that this sits in. So Jesus goes back. He pulls, he pulls this verse out. And I want you to hear where this comes from. Leviticus 19.18. And I want you to see what Jesus does. So out of all these laws, all these different ideas, we find this call to, to love our neighbors. Leviticus 19. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now we, that seems kind of strange, but that's really just a way of this. God is saying to these people, and, and the, the writer of this is giving this to us, okay, this revelation from God to us, saying that what God is telling you is do this. Don't seek revenge on people. It's a world of revenge. <laughs> you took my eye, I'll take your eye. You take my arm, I'll take, right? This is, this is normalized, right? Do not seek revenge. Don't, don't do that. Don't bear a grudge against other people. But you are to love other people. As you love yourself. He goes, and they're like, why? Because I'm God and I said so. That's what's happening there. He says, because I said so. Because this is going to be a good way to live. Now, th this is hard. Because some of the laws and things that we find around here are kind of weird. And this one is so interesting because it is actually buried with some of these strange laws and passages. So in this, we find rituals that seem archaic. We're going to find laws and things that um, seem oddly restrictive. In fact, we're going to find some places in Leviticus where it's uncomfortable to our ears because of our modern context. In fact, one of those passages is found just after this. If you just go literally just a verse after this, uh, if taken as law today, a lot of us in here would be in a lot of trouble. So Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Then he goes on and he goes, and do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Um, okay, wait a minute. Um, well, I'm in trouble. That's the end of that. If you kept reading, you might be even more uncomfortable. Because it's easy to pull verses out of context in this book. Do you hear that? It is easy to pull it out of context. It's done all the time to exclude others from the family of God. But it's not the way to understand this book at all. Do you get that? 
This is not a book that I go, oh, I like this verse over here that tells the people to do this. Oh, I don't like this one over here. I really don't like this one. Or I can use this to beat other people up with. That's not the point of this book. Again, this book is about the relationship that people have with God and trying to understand that relationship. So here's what I want to do. I want to back out of this close-up reading context. I want to come up to a higher view, and then I want to see how this all connects to loving our neighbors ourselves. See, when we take this as a higher view, when we do that, we find that the context between our world and this book is vastly different, right? We've already figured that out. But the essence of the need to be addressed is the same. Got that? The, the context is completely different. But the need being addressed is the same. God is holy. Okay, that's the first one. Our sin means that we are not. Yet God desires that we have a right relationship with him so we may reflect his goodness and love to the world. So in Leviticus, in an ancient context, in an ancient world, very, very long ago, they understood God is holy. We are not. How do we bridge the chasm of that so we can have a right relationship with God and share with our world a different way to live. Remember, the world around looked very different. So, loving your neighbor as yourself is mind-boggling. It's different. Only a God could love like that. Exactly. To be as holy as your God is holy. So there's this fascinating thing going on. So what the Levitical law did in that ancient context, and this is the pivot point, this is the hinge for us. What the Levitical law did in that ancient context for them, Jesus did for all of us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's because of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection for followers of Jesus, that we can now understand some of this law as descriptive or prescriptive for that time and that faith, but not to our time and our faith. Does that make sense? It's also how Jesus can then pull from this book that has passages that seem not to apply in anyway and pull from that a verse that applies to us in every way so, so what's happening is this we are always supposed to go back and look and read things through the lens of Jesus and that couldn't be more important than we come to a place like this or it gets really goofy because then I could stand up here and I could go, those of you wearing a cotton poly blend today, I will see you in hell. <laughs> and you'd be like, that's weird. That doesn't seem very Jesus-like. And I'd go, but it's in the book. Is it not in the good book? It's in the book. See, because of Jesus... You can look at me and go, Ryan, 
That seems descriptive or prescriptive. And if I ever do that, it's exactly what you're supposed to do. This this is why as a pastor, I'm supposed to be helping you to look at me and go, that doesn't seem to make any sense. So what Jesus does is, he goes, that's what I'm doing. He says, says, but Jesus is doing it himself. He's pulling this text out and he goes, here's the deal, guys. The most important commandment out of all of this is not the clothes you wear. It's not who you're saying doesn't belong. He says, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. because, Because what he did, what the Levitical law couldn't do was he bridges this. And we were made holy through his life and his death and his resurrection, through following his way, becoming more like him. So, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. So, a couple notes first. You can stop worrying about your cotton polyester blend. Everybody take a big sigh. You can gladly enjoy sushi lunch after church today. You can put away that clobber verse that wasn't ever meant to keep others away from the love of God. But I want you to see this. As Jesus quotes this, what he is telling us to do is more challenging than any of that. What Jesus is telling us to do is more challenging than looking through all the racks of all the clothes trying to find the only cotton, 100% cotton shirts. What he's telling us is more challenging than than trying to figure out what do I eat or what I don't eat. This is more challenging than looking at other people and judging other people, which really shouldn't be that hard. But listen to this again because this is so challenging. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then I started looking at this book in Leviticus. I started seeing this phrase. And I saw this and it said this. When we go back to Leviticus 19. Love, it says, do not seek or bear a grudge against anyone among. Do you see this? Do you see this? Your people. You guys see that? Do not, do not. Seek revenge or bear grudge against anyone among your people, right? I thought, oh, that's interesting that Jesus ignored that part. He gets to do that because he's Jesus, right? The your people is now gone. He just says this, love your neighbor as yourself. And then we all say, well, who is my, who's my neighbor? Oh, good thing a guy asked this question. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this version flips it, how we've been talking about this, right? This is the man answering Jesus, right? Now listen to this. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? See, because he knew Leviticus. He read this book because it was weird to him. He read this book and he saw this part that said... That do not do this to your people. And he's like, all right, Jesus. Now I heard, I just said, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but my people, right? That's just my people. I don't have to worry about the other people, just my people. And Jesus says, hold up now. And this is so fascinating. And he, this is so cool because he could have justified himself. See, because if we read on, listen to this, Leviticus 19.33. When a foreigner resides among you in the land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them for yourself, for you are foreigners in Egypt. So you can see what you can start to do. The man can justify himself. In other words, he can have a definition of neighbor that allows him to discriminate, marginalize, even hate others. 
Because he can start to say, well, do they reside in my land? Do they not reside in my land? What about those people across that land? Can I hate the people who are across this border right here? Can I not love them? Because they don't seem to be in my land. It just says the foreigners that reside in my land. And Jesus says, okay, hold up. Let me tell you a story. And he goes on. In reply, Jesus says this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. Now for the man on the road, the priest and the Levite fit the definition of neighbor. According to Levitical law, these were their neighbors. These were the good guys. They were on the same side. But they passed by because they also knew the law. They couldn't touch the man. They'd be ritually defiled. It's weird for us, right? But it's the tension of the law that we were talking about. So then Jesus leaves a void in the story for the unlikely hero to step in. Then he says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, he poured oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, took his master card out. He gave it to the innkeeper. He said, charge anything you want on this. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any expense that you may have. You can trust me. Here's my discover. Here's everything else. Just whatever, whatever this guy needs. The Samaritan lived out love for God in every way. Do you see that? His heart and his soul and his mind. He took a chance. That was dangerous. There could have been other people waiting to rob him as he comes over and helps that man out. He put his life, his very breath, the walks of his, everything he was doing, he put on the line. He put his relationship with God on the line. He knew the Levitical law too. Samaritans also knew the law. It doesn't matter. This is a hurting person that needs help. Isn't that the most important thing? Puts his resources, everything comes to him on the line. He has no idea where the money is going to come from. And he says, just, just if, if anything happens, re I'll reimburse you. Man, that could have been trouble. He's going to end up working for that man. Who knows what's going to happen? We don't know how, how this is going to play out. He says, I will put everything on the line. To the man, this was unexpected, but it was even worse than that. Samaritan and Jews were enemies. They weren't neighbors. Samaritans were not your people. Samaritans were people on the other side. Yet look how Jesus asked the guy to respond. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law said, well, the Samaritan, of course. No, he didn't, because he couldn't say Samaritan. He hated Samaritans so much that he said, the third guy. The, the guy who had mercy on him, that, that was the neighbor. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. You, you mean go and do likewise, like go take care of people? Use everything that God has given you to love people who aren't like you. Use all of your breath and your life and your resources for others. Love God to the full extent of your life and love others to the full extent of your life. See how incredibly challenging this is? He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He had a lot to wrestle with, but there's one more thing, and then we're going to close up. One more thing I love about this. 
I have no idea what happened to this man. <laughs> Jesus never came back to the story and was like, hey, by the way, guys, do you want to hear what happened to the Good Samaritan on the other side of things? Do, do you want me to finish the story for you? We have no idea. So I wonder, what happened after? What did it look like for him to wrestle with this? He's probably spent his entire life trying to figure out what it looked like to love God with his entire heart and his soul and his mind. Probably took his entire life to figure out how do you love your neighbor as yourself. So I wonder, did he get it? Did he go? Did he go love like that? We just don't know. Literally, the next verse says this. Well, Jesus was on his way to somewhere else. What happened to this guy? So I was trying to end the sermon. I was really struggling. I, I thought I had a really good landing. I was like, oh, that's powerful. And it really wasn't very good. And I was talking to Daniel, who writes all our sermon notes. And Daniel and I are kind of going back and forth using this long text. And within that text, I realized something that was really cool. I just left the rest of my notes empty. Because I could keep filling it with more and more places where we come back to where we learn how to love God and love others. And then as I told Daniel, I realized, well, that's why we're here. That's why I keep coming week after week after week to this place. That, that, that's why we do the things we do, like our trunk retreat. It's why we have kids serving. It's why we, we invest in others. It's why we have missionaries come and talk, because we're learning how to love God and love others. That is the journey of following Jesus. The journey of following Jesus, when you boil it down to the very essence of all of it, is learning to love God and love others and all the other crap. You can just go, I'm, this is it. This is what it's all about. And everything that we do should be underneath all of that. So yeah, we move on to another series next week. Because I thought I'll just continue this series because it's so good. We just keep repeating the same things. Love God, love God others. That's why we are here and that's what we do. That's why I want you to be a part of this community. That's why we serve. That's why we go out and do the things we do because we're learning how to love God and love others. How cool is that? We don't have to extend the series because we're already continuing it by gathering together next week. And praise God for that. It's found right in our mission statement, exploring the way of Jesus as we learn to love God, love others, and bring life to our community. The final thing dependent on the first two, because it comes out of that relentless, lifelong pursuit of loving God and loving others. So here's my invitation to you. Let's continue to explore the way of Jesus together. Let's continue, as I talked earlier today, about being sanctified. Let God work in my life. Jesus, would you help me to learn how to love God and love others more wholly? Would you help me to love like the good Samaritan who exemplifies the way of Jesus? Would you help me to look at scripture and see that it all ties back into this? And to learn how to read through the lens of Jesus. And to welcome everybody to come to his feet and follow him. What an awesome lesson we have, guys. Hey, I know it's super late. Let's pray. God, we are just so, so thankful that at the end of the day, it, it, it is so simple, yet so incredibly challenging and complex to love God and love others. God, would you help us in everything that we do as a church, as people, 
you just help us to be people who love? Who understand that who we are and everything we have is from you, for your glory, from the breath that we breathe, the gifts that we have, to serve you. But may we see this incredible reality, this maybe more challenging reality that Jesus has as an equal reality for us to love others with all of the essence of who we are. May we be challenged by that. May it be something that comes back over and over and over again. May we be reminded. May we wrestle through that. May we stop justifying it and simply be people of love. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for this incredible morning. We thank you for Drew and his family, for our kids, for our teenagers serving this morning. God, you are a good God, and we are so thankful. Amen.